Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. I'm your host, Zach, and this week's a little bit different. Mark's got some family obligations, and he couldn't be here this week. But we do have two other people uh, who you might know from our actual play. We have Jack and Simon. How are you all doing today? Hi. Hi, guys. I'm doing pretty good for a Sunday, always. I'm doing pretty well as well. Can't complain. This week, we're going to do a little bit of a after-show recap, uh, kind of get the the players' minds of, of uh, how the actual play went this last week. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with Jack. Jack, what do you think about our uh, our first episode of the actual play? I found it, it went very well, in my opinion. Um, it started off a little bit vague, just trying to test the ground, you know, how everyone was, because well, it was the first time role-playing and just playing with everyone. So you really had to test out what the characters were and what role they really wanted to play because it's difficult from just reading or like hearing their biography, like how they will act and respond to certain things. And you also need to know like who can come up with what. And at the start, it was a bit bit rough because we also didn't know which direction we wanted to go. But as soon as we got things rolling, I think it went very smooth and it was really funny to see like how everyone added some small funny stuff or some scenarios or came up with really creative aspects that they would, could implement with their character. Yeah, I agree. It was the most fun part. And also just the random chatter throughout the like, mission, we would say. Yeah, uh, it seemed like you all fed off of each other really well. Um, it didn't seem like there needed to be much of an adjustment period. There was a slight one, but um, you all kind of figured out how everybody worked and, and uh, well, for the most part, how everybody worked. And, yeah, uh, you know that I noticed fast enough that everyone had like quite a lot of experience or at least in some form of role play or tabletop and that's why it went smoothly as well, you know? Yeah, everybody... adjust to what the group needed at the moment. Yeah, everybody kind of knows what balance needs to be there since you all are pretty experienced individually. But yeah, I think that went went really well. What about you, Simon? What do you think about that that first episode? Oh. I can mostly concur, to be honest. It went really well for the first time. I was kind of fearing it might turn out to be a train wreck, but it worked out really well after some small adjustments. Synergy got running pretty quickly. I think it's partially because 7C attracts like a very specific kind of players. I think that's also why we just matched so well right from the get-go. That was right. fun. It was a lot of banter, as 70 is supposed to be. Absolutely. Yeah, it seemed like most of you, or a couple of you all, have 7C experience previously. Um, was it you, Jack, that had, had played 1st Edition, or was that Simon? Uh, I played 1st Edition a lot. So. Mm-hmm. All right. I only did like a small spin-off myself with a group of friends. That's right. Well, we we all kind of know the whole role playing aspect of um, how role playing games go, you know, and and with that little knowledge we have, you know, it's easy to to feed off the other characters and to feed off the other players, um, and I think that adds adds a lot of uh, adds adds a lot of flavor to the whole gameplay aspect of it, you know, and I think it went really well. Um, Going going back into uh, previous experience, um, the listeners know a little bit about 
what I have played in the past. I've played. I started off with Pathfinder and uh, uh, maybe uh, six months, a year of that. I I switched over to Fourth Edition, which was a horrible mistake, and everybody knows that. D and D Fourth Edition, that is. But um, then I, I I got to a point where I was so aggravated with Fourth Edition that I got Fifth Edition on my own and then started GMing. So I had a little bit of play experience before I started GMing, but I've always been um, interested in writing. You know, I've I've written some stories here and there. I've tried to start books but failed epically. And uh, I enjoy creating this world and creating this story. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm, I'll be a better GM than a player. You know, and so I just stuck with that for a little bit and uh, and started my own uh, fifth edition. D&D 5th edition campaign and and then that um that evolved to several 5th edition campaigns and now we're uh, we're going into 7C but Jack let's uh, let's hear about a little bit of your past with role playing games mm, just role playing games in general like tabletops it isn't that much i think i have the least experience of the whole group because i didn't really have like a group of friends that was interested enough in like doing regular sessions. We did a couple like <clears throat> one uh, one shots, which I always jammed because they didn't really know much of the system. So I just you know always volunteered to might as well lead the party through it. But it was always fun, and I always just created my own system that uh, everyone could adapt to, and that there weren't too many rules and no like battle map or anything like fourth edition. And um, um, I usually base it off, um, funny enough, about the York's cast. They did a, a York's quest. It's like one of their uh, tabletop series. And they did one with the fantasy setting, the space setting, the uh, zombie setting, like post-apocalypse. And they created a really easy, like, accessible setting. And that's where I usually based mine off because... There you had like just really cards and on the cards were the weapons and the damage that would you do, what you would roll. And you just had like simple health and just a simple character sheet. And that's what I usually used for my one shots with friends. And besides that, I have a little bit of experience with um, uh, Ryutama on Roll20. We did uh, two sessions. I think it's like one of the least known... Um, you know, what do you call it, like franchises of tabletops. Mm-hmm. And, um, have you guys heard of it? I have not. And it's about this magical world where you have a group of friends that feeds a dragon that follows you or like a guardian stories that you create. And by creating those stories, you keep the world alive and dynamic. And the whole world surrounds about traveling and creating stories and everyone as soon as they reach age in their life they have to go out and travel okay and that's what it's based on and it really appealed to me because it was really easy and small animations in the book as well and just explaining all the the general stuff uh, i'll yeah. link to you i can link to you guys but uh, that's what i really liked it it's like something you can even play like with eight-year-olds you know they would understand it yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's why I probably chose it as well. And 
about it. I have a lot of experience in just role play in general, but it's always in uh, like multiplayer online games, mm-hmm. role playing games, and mm-hmm. I've done it in almost every RPG I've played. Always <laughs> find some group to role play with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it adds to the experience of playing the game. You know, in the in the online aspect of it on playing you know playing video games like uh you know uh, big mmos or anything like that you know it, it it's not just you know these people meeting and it's like you're yourselves but you're playing these characters you know these characters aren't interacting like the way you're interacting with the people so adding that role-playing aspect with the individual people kind of adds to adds to that flavor of the game and adds to your overall experience. And I love that. Surprisingly, like the most role-playing I've done is on Minecraft back in the day. It was <laughs> uh, like uh, four years ago, five years ago. Mm-hmm. But it was really big and I was like in the development of the uh, server as well. And, you know, it's really fun because it's such an open sandbox. You can create your own world first, mm-hmm. create your whole own stories, like bloodlines, families, and whole setting. And then role play in it. That's a great. That's a great aspect. I never thought of that. You know, I just was like, okay, Minecraft's this mining game of of uh, you know, you do this, you fight some monsters that show up every once in a while, and you know, but but honestly, if you think about it, there is an end goal. You know, the end goal mm-hmm. is going and fighting the Ender Dragon. You know, and these people have to grow in one, in certain ways, enable to do that. You know, you can't just go from the very beginning and go, okay, I'm going to fight the Ender Dragon. No, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> At all. Yeah, but like when we role played, the Ender Dragon wasn't never like some part of the role play or the world. It's just pure about the role play itself. You yeah. know, you don't actually go out and mine stuff. Like you don't use the game mechanics. You only use the, like the building mechanics, and that's how you role play. Because if you if you give players access to get all the sources, the resources, like normal people, the normal game works. You enable power gaming because people just will grind to get every day want and they'll be really strong. So you have to set a limit on that, and that's what we also did. And that worked quite well. Interesting. Yeah, so that's essentially you created your own role-playing game system within a, a, a physical game that already existed. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty yeah, much uh, how the first D&D actually came into existence, if I recall correctly. Like, the creators of D&D were playing these Warhammer games, and they started making up stories about individual characters. And that's how they actually got the idea of creating the D&D system to actually accommodate that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I remember Mark was, was saying about first edition, you know, it started essentially as a board game. You know, there it was mm-hmm. it was very linear, but it but it was a role playing board game, you know, and as mm-hmm. as that went on, it just evolved, uh, adding more and more, you know, role playing aspects, more and more variables. And uh, it evolved to what it is today. Simon, what about you? Uh, what, are, what are your experiences with some role-playing games? Well, I started about seven years ago, I think, and sadly, that was with D&D 4th Edition, so a great introduction to role-playing game right there. No. I cry for That's... you. <laughs> I mean, I think I got lucky that it was such a fun group I was playing with, because otherwise they probably would have turned me off from role-playing forever, but eventually I switched away from D&D 4th Edition once we realized just how bad it was. Um, then... We actually went on to 7C First Edition, which was so different and much more amazing, in my opinion. Just gave you so much freedom; you could do whatever you wanted. It was much more about storytelling, about 
talking about doing stuff and that was that was real role playing for me right there and that really opened up a whole new world for me and it's always something i've been looking for in other games as well it's also reason why i have found only so few role playing games that i actually liked because most of them are much more crunchy than 70 i remember clips face which i hated it was very i mean the world building was amazing but it just so detailed and so crunchy you could not get it to work yeah, I've also game... played a bit of Paranoia. Oh, Paranoia. Um, <laughs> games games like Eclipse Phase and stuff like that, they seem very technical. And that's what kind of turns me away from games like that. You know, now that I've played 7C, it's like 7C can be essentially a super simple game. And you don't have to mm-hmm. worry about rules all that much. You know, it's not something that's always there. You know, it's not a very rules-heavy game. As far as like when you're actually in the game, but um, I mean that's why I love Seven C. That's true. Uh, but back to uh, Paranoia. Yeah, <laughs> Mark. Mark and I were talking about Paranoia in our last, maybe maybe in our first our first podcast. But it, it would be a great game for us when when we actually get to know each other. This game is essentially about people who are friends kind of tearing into each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that, really... that would be a good game for us down the road. Ah, uh, yeah, Paranoia is brilliant. I mean, the amount of fun you can have of it. It's not a game you can play, you can keep playing all the time, but for the occasional random episode, it's amazingly fun. Mm-hmm. It's stuff we usually do with Christmas or with New Year's Eve or something like that. Oh, yeah, little one-shots here and there, you know. It doesn't have to be... Exactly this this big ongoing thing like most role-playing games it can just be okay i have this basic concept you know let's just jump in you know and and uh we can just do a one shot and be done with it and have fun that's true let's see did i play anything else apart from that i'm thinking i've played fifth edition as well which was much better definitely much better than fourth edition for you all what were your favorite systems more or less to uh you know, more experiment with and play on a regular basis. Uh, Jack? Well, as I said, like I only created my own systems and then just based it off whatever I could find, either Pathfinder or I based it off of 7C. I never did any D&D. I never, I looked into it. I read uh, the whole player book, the core rule book, but it just didn't seem to appeal to me and I never like had a group to play it with. So, I have no experience in that regard. And it also seemed like having uh, more rules just limits the creativity. That's what I always thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, what about you, Simon? Uh, for my favorite, it's definitely first edition 7C so far. It's the one I've played the most by far as well. It's rules light. I mean, for crunchy players, it's probably the worst system in the universe because it's so easily broken. Mm-hmm. But if you don't bother with that, it that much and just take it as it goes it works amazingly well right and uh speaking about breaking games there are um, there are a lot of people that want a power game you know they want a min max and everything like that you know min maxing is essentially creating the best character you can and just doing the most damage you can you know it's not it's it's mm-hmm. all about the gameplay aspect and not about the role play aspect and in my opinion there are a lot of people that do that with Pathfinder, another current mm-hmm. edition of Pathfinder, because there's so much mm-hmm. you can do and there's so many things that can be broken. 
it just needs a little bit more of um, a tapering just to, you know, eliminate some of that. But I just want to say to him, why are you playing a role-playing game if you just want to play a, a, a minis game? You know, yeah, with, should, uh, they should just play like an RPG, like an online RPG. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that where, uh, you know, the role-playing on your end isn't as isn't as important as something like, you know, like D&D or 7C or something like that. So, I mean, it's just like I don't understand those people that want to ruin the role-playing aspect for the other players. You know, I'd understand if if everybody came to terms and was like, okay, we just want to do a min-max campaign, you know, boom. And then you could do that. Mm. But most of the time I see the power players are, like, in with the – the the role players, you know, it's a little aggravating when I see something like that. I mean, yeah. my main issue with power games is that as soon as you have one in your group, the rest is pretty much forced to follow unless they want vastly more ineffective characters, which just reduces their possibilities in the game due to the power gamer. Right. I think that's a bit unfortunate about it. Yeah, I think if you have one power gamer in your group, it just destroys the ambience of the other players, right? Yeah. Their ability mm-hmm. to just role play it out and just find a suitable character with, like, healthy strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Another reason I don't love typical RPGs like uh, like D&D is because your success or failure is pretty much completely random. You know, until you get to a higher level where it's like, okay, you have a modifier of, of 10, you know, you're pretty much going to be able to do this. But, you know, it's like, okay, you can roll a die and get a one. And then you can roll the die again and you'll still have the exact same chance to get a one. And it's it's aggravating because it's like that ruins the role-playing aspect too. Because it's like you're trying to be this character that is skilled in these things. And it's still miserably anyway. Somehow. Right, because it's based on <laughs> random chance. It's just a little aggravating in, in that, you know, going to back to the role-playing side of games. You know, it it kind of uh, eats away at the immersion of actually being this character if there are so many rules and so many variables that can tell you, no, you're not going to be able to do this. You know, that's not about storytelling. That's about, you know, that's about the game side of it, too. Mm-hmm. Like a natural one. I, I agree that it's... It like limits you, but it's also fun, even though that you're skilled on something, you somehow roll a one anyway, and then you have to like role play that you somehow fail something you're skilled in, and that creates some funny scenarios as well. Like, you know, you're trying to create something, but you drop a candle and set everything on fire, and then you have to <laughs> you're just right. trying to tie your shoelaces, but then the whole blaze is on fire. <laughs> yeah, you know, it could create funny, funny moments, but. Yeah, and Winning like twice or one in a row is just not really yeah. logical, realistic. Yeah, definitely. It's like rolling a one doesn't decrease your chances of rolling another one. You know, it's it's five percent chance to fail every time. Going over to the seventh C side of it, you know, your failures are essentially based on what the character wants to do, like what what your player wants to do. You know, players are a little bit more inclined to decide how they fail if they get to choose it. In our uh, our first scenario, there, you know, it's like, all right, this building's on fire, you know, but you only have one one raise, you know, 
well, in that case, what I forgot. Choose? Who, yeah. I, yeah, I forgot who it was, but somebody decided to uh, to sacrifice themselves, so they took more wounds to to save more people. You know, and that's awesome. I didn't even think about that until somebody said it. I was like, "That's perfect. You can definitely do that." You know, because yeah, I really like that aspect as well. You're choosing how you want to fail, and that that makes you want to fail that much more. Because you get to choose it instead of like the DM. You roll a one and the DM says, okay, this is how it goes. That's how most RPGs go. We should really like keep having those scenarios where there's like several options. And you can just be flexible in how you lose or how you gain stuff. Right. Yeah. Like with every scenario, there's there are risks and consequences and opportunities. So, you know, I could throw in a couple more opportunities on each on each scenario. Yeah. And you know, the way I GM, it's like, I want people to have fun. I want people to, you know, to make this story interesting how they want to. So when, when that person said, you know, let's, uh, let's save more people. I'm going to be heroic and, and save more people and take more wounds. It's because also that, like something to show your character more to the rest of the group, you know, like these right. are the choices I make. For example, I climbed on the window straight away and got myself, but didn't save anyone. <laughs> like, oh, well, there you no, go. That's true. my character for you. Yeah, I mean, it says so much more about your character than like a short history or a biography or something like that. It's like the it gives you the perfect opportunity to define yourself through your actions. It's really good about that. I mean, Raphael pretty much went for the lady in the room and saved her, but didn't care about all the rest. Yeah, definitely. And that adds to the storytelling aspect and that adds to the role-playing aspect of the game. You know, and with a game like Seventh Seed, that's the entire game is how the story goes and how these players, how these characters influence the world. And it's amazing. And and seeing how you guys work is great because it's – you, you say things that I wouldn't normally think of. You know, if I was in the game, I wouldn't have, you know, done that. And that's great. It's awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't like have offered a guy cake to put him <laughs> over to my side. That was I was very audience. confused. Like, I know you're a cook, but you really got to try to win him over with cake. Oh, I guess it worked. All right. <laughs> right. Like, and I, yeah. and um, Mark's character, when he when he didn't have uh, when he was chasing down the uh, the rioter, he didn't have um, intimidation, so he couldn't intimidate the guy. But he was great at convincing so he played it off as okay my character is better at convincing so i'm not going to try and intimidate so he went to try and trick this guy and it worked he tricked him into uh having him believe that they were part of the same team and that he messed up by you know by attacking this quote unquote allied meeting and it was mm-hmm. it was great it's it's awesome to see um, see examples like that when you're a GM, you know, because it, it kind of makes you happy that your players are doing this well to uh, go outside of the box. Yeah, it also just feels natural. You just do what your character is best at. Yeah. And a lot of times in role-playing games, I see players not necessarily stick to character as well as they need to. Because they were so worried about, you know, the game aspect. Losing. Yeah, and losing, essentially. But I think, like, losing is the most fun part of it. 
Yeah. You know, just getting yourself in shitty situations and then just making it more difficult for yourself. <laughs> so you have more room for trying to make it somehow fix anyway. To make it work anyway. Yeah, and and in role playing games that's what makes your character so unique. It it lets your character grow and it lets them uh you know, evolve into somebody that's completely different from the character that started this story. You know, in, in The Hobbit, you know, Bilbo in the beginning didn't want to go on this adventure, but going through these adventures with all these dwarves and uh, and Gandalf, you know, he he is a completely different person at the end of the movie. And that's kind of how I see um, RPGs going with character development. Especially like within the group, you know, you start caring more about the people you act with and more familiar. And then at the end, you know, you will be inviting them to your birthday party and such. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Coming coming out of the situation as friends who of with people who weren't friends to begin with. You know, in our, in our case, you know, you are two separate countries, two groups of separate countries that are coming together to – to bring peace to these countries and then at the end of this you'll be like you're from the same country like you're you were brothers all these years we'll, we'll, we'll see about that I guess <laughs> <laughs> I don't really I, I like always having my suspicions with characters about everything you know it seems more natural to have like a lot of prejudices just like in the real world I suppose you know yeah that's a good point and uh Saying that makes me think of, you know, these characters don't have to be 100% heroic. They can be like we are in everyday life, you know. We can, we're can we allowed to have our suspicions with our allies, you know. And that brings it back to like the immersive fact. It makes the game more immersive because you're constantly thinking about, okay, how would my character go about this, you know. Actually, it's less of how would my character go about this, more as how would I as this character. So more mm-hmm. of how would I go about this, but you're portraying this character. Yeah, you really put yourself in the character and then see like, all right, this is what I would do. So then your character would also do that. And that's yeah. what I really like about this group as well. Like everyone seemed to be really well into their character from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it's more about finding out what others react rather than how you would do stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why it went smoothly. I think that's one of the reasons at least. Yeah. Everyone are, yeah. And I like that I gave you all a little bit of time to get to know your characters, you know, your individual characters, because jumping into the game straight from character creation kind of hurts that because you don't have any time to think about Okay, thinking about specific examples of how would my character do this and how does my character think about these kinds of people or, you know, it gives you less time to get to know your character. And and I think that's essential for a game like this, any, any role-playing game, but especially with 7C that's more about the story. Uh, going to 7C and how it relates to other RPGs. Uh, what do you all think about uh, specific examples of, of major differences between, say, something like D&D or Pathfinder and 7C? 
like the biggest aspect for me that is changing is the well, we didn't really go into that yet, but the weapons is in how how they work. Because every time I've played, I've created a certain a certain weapons with their damages and stuff, mm-hmm. and like how fast they act, and then write a little bit about it and how they handle them. And here it's pure role play, mm-hmm. and I like that so far. You know, it's just your chances of your traits and not really the weapon itself, how you handle it. And that's quite new for me, but I really like it. Yeah, and that's something we didn't get into in our actual play. We didn't get to any mm-hmm. combat, so we really didn't. We we really don't know what weapons you all are using. I would assume most of them are um, rapiers, since um, a few of you are skilled in dueling. So that would be uh, your weapon of choice. But yeah, I I didn't even think about weapons for like for mm-hmm. asking you all what. Uh, what you all use that would have been helpful to know for the future but now that i know a couple of yours because <laughs> i wanted to go with uh, like throwing knives since i have a high skill in perform and it also suits my character because i'm always in courts and i can perform for other people and it seems fun to have like my weapon of choice to be something you all can also perform with Ah. But I saw that my character doesn't have anything in aim. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, of course, I could. But I'm not sure what if I could transition the perform aspect into the aim aspect. <laughs> that, might be, that. that might be a little difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, could, you could figure it out, I'm sure. Um, that's that's like, like, that seemed like a natural weapon of choice for me. <laughs> Yeah, that that does make sense. Um, so going to seventh C and comparing it to other things, I really the more I read it, the more I kind of realized it was a lot like the Assassin's Creed games because it's you know you you get to dispatch multiple enemies in a single round, you know, in a matter of seconds, you know, and that's what you could do in. In Assassin's Creed, you know, and counter every. Say again. You counter everything in Assassin's Creed in the games. Yeah, it's like one of the game mechanics. I'm not sure how much you guys have played Assassin's Creed. Uh, very much. <laughs> um, but yeah, it kind of reminds me of that in in multiple aspects. You know, you're running from baddies. You're you're uh, taking them down like that. You know, you're hiding from guards. You know, it could be. It could be, you know, hand in hand. Like I could map out Assassin's Creed 2 with this with this game setup, with this game mechanic, and it would be perfect. With 7th C, since you don't have to create the world, since you don't have to create where these people are going to be, it gives you a lot more time to make the detail with the story itself. And I love that because in, in other... Um, in other RPGs, unless you're using like a pre a pre written module or a pre written you know environment, you have to build this environment, and that takes time away from the actual story itself. Yeah, definitely. If you create your own environment, there will always be like loopholes of things that don't really make up sense. Like no matter how good of a writer or world builder are, there will always be aspects that aren't really explained, and then might not be clear to all characters and then some difficulties will be and then you have to stop and then it will take away from the merger. 
services. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's also part of the benefit of 70 is that it's a very familiar environment as well. So they have this all mapped out, but it's pretty much Europe. And when you compare it to stuff like Eclipse Face, for instance, where there there's also world built in its entirety and there's so much background information, but there it's so different from what you know that you need to really remember everything and research. And here it just comes more naturally, I feel, because we all know more or less how 16th, 17th century Europe looked like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that that gives the characters a lot more leeway too because they don't have to learn unless they don't know. You know, <laughs> They don't have to learn this entirely new 100% foreign land whereas a lot of it's very similar. You know, Mark would argue, yeah, it's not – you know, it's not a one for one, but it's very, very similar. It's similar enough for you to get the basic, you know, ideas. What I like about it is that, like, the stuff you know about Europe in the 16th century, you can take that, like, into your character and then use that as just your prejudices. And then you're like, oh, this is like how I view France, and so this is how I view the people from Montagne, you know? Because there isn't really a set, like how they behave, and you're like, oh, might as well base it on that. Because even if it's inaccurate about how the people of Mitanya really are, your character can think it. Yeah, because your character may not know 100% about the entire history of, of Thea, of mm-hmm. you know, this 17th century Europe. And that adds to it too, you know? It, uh, it's not like okay, my character's perfect and I know all the lore. You know, no, that's not it in in any way. You know, you can you can have those flaws and you can have those, you know, those gaps in your knowledge. And that's what makes the character more interesting. Yeah, it's more natural to like not know anything. Like I wonder how much a person in the sixteenth century would actually know about the surrounding countries, you know. That's what that's I also true. really focused on because I started reading just like all the countries, all the information about all the countries and see what they were like. But I also limited myself to only like a small part and I only read into the countries that are neighboring Montagne because that would be normal to know about their behavior and like the people, the culture, but not really, you know, at the other cross from the map. Yeah, and and especially coming from this this place that just got out of a war, you know, there are going to be all these rumors and all these suspicions about, okay, did this person do this? Did this country do this? You know, it's, it's okay to have that false information or to have that lack of information mm-hmm. because there was just this chaos that happened and everybody can think something completely different. You know, nobody can – there, there can be eight people that don't know the truth, but they can have, you know, different views on these different people. And it's wonderful. And also, it's like, with the group, like, you know, some will know more about certain countries than others, and that will create, like, maybe incidents or arguments, and you can actually role-play that out, and then you maybe even have to, like, a small battle between characters over, like, something small as just information about what is true or what is wrong. You know, even though, of course, you could just look it up, but it's fun to actually have that virtual character to play it out. Right. That's something that the 71st edition did really well with its source books. They slowly started revealing more information and more secrets. 
about all the organizations working behind the behind scenes and all that. But as you read more and more of the source books, you saw that every source book said something different, and each each organization had like their own prejudices and misinformation that really caused a very interesting dynamic. And it's something they are mimicking now as well with the second edition. I have the feeling, which is really cool. Uh, a question for you guys that have read first edition. Uh, is is the time period about the same or is it like pre-war? Uh, well, the time period is the same, but some of the events have moved up or changed slightly. Okay. For example, at first edition, the war with Castilla Montaigne was still going on. It didn't get cut short so quickly. <laughs> and the war with Asura was more or less already started at the same time. So Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see what the uh, the Kickstarter will bring out, you know, from from the second edition Kickstarter mm-hmm. too. That'll that'll add some more history and add some more backstory of, of everything too. And uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> same here. So yeah, I was too late, surprisingly, because I saw it come past on Kickstarter. I was like, yeah, this is such an amazing world, but I didn't really have a group to play it with, so I didn't immediately back it. Right, and then when it was already over. I was already too late when I actually started looking more into it. Yeah, I believe both um, both Mark and Wasim have. Yeah, I think they were both backers of that, so they'll they're getting the um, all those PDFs that are that are piling out here and there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One of so the coolest maybe, things about the Kickstarter was you also got like all the first edition books, which was amazing. Right. Because there's just so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many were there? There were like. 30, 40, I don't yeah, know. 30, it was 30, ridiculous after something a while. like that. It's it's crazy how many source books there were for that. And maybe mm-hmm. if we're nice to to Mark and Wasim, maybe they'll share a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are getting PDFs of this stuff. Because <laughs> it's nice to like read some specific information about organizations or institutions. I especially always like the Vatican Church. Or not the Vatican, the church. The Vatican. It seemed like, no, like uh, I study history and culture, so mm-hmm. it's sometimes difficult to distinguish that because <laughs> I'm always reading into it. Right, yeah, and that's, it's like you can know some things about the real world equivalent, but it's like there are minor differences that are just important enough <laughs> to be different, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. No, but I actually like it, that they kept it so close, you know. Yeah, yeah. It helps the immersion factor. It helps mm-hmm. you not have to learn a bunch of stuff, but you have to just learn mm-hmm. a little bit of stuff yeah. about everything, you know. Because I found this uh, other setting. It's called Numenera. Have you guys heard of it? Uh-huh, I have. Yeah. Yeah, and like the world Numenera created was like, so amazing it really astonished me like how in-depth and really cool it looked but trying to actually set it up with a group that isn't familiar with it takes a really long time for everyone to read into it and understand the world itself Mm -hmm. it's like the downside if you create such an awesome new world Exactly. I had, I had the same problem with Eclipse Face. It was like a source book of 300 pages of such well-researched information and technology, and you just could not remember it. It was so so unfortunate. 
And it's annoying if you have to, like, during gameplay or often, if you have to keep looking stuff up that your character should know, but you forgot. Yeah, true. I mean, sometimes it works, though. For example, I'm not sure if any of you have ever played Legend of the Five Rings. It uses a very similar system to First Edition 17. It's about feudal, not Japan. And part of the game is really knowing, like, all the customs and all the etiquette so you don't offend the wrong person and get killed as a result. And there it really works, the research, because there you really have to struggle to remember, oh, how would you have to address this person? And there it's really a mechanic, but otherwise, not a big fan of it. That brings to mind a a game system that not many people have heard of, but it's called Ars Magica, or the, the Art of Magic. And mm-hmm. the the setting is, it's called Mythic Europe, but it's exactly Europe. So... <laughs> It's it's uh I think it's 1220 AD Europe and the only differences are the presence of all these different creatures dragons fairies magic all this stuff you know it's but it's the same in that time and it's been argued that the magic system in Ars Magica is the best system for magic out there and so I bought it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's so dense. Like the, <laughs> the, the pages are, I want to say, all 95% words. <laughs> it, has, yeah. it has like 230 pages, but it's straight through text. There oh, are I need some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will send you all some. But um, – it's uh, it's very clunky. Ah, uh, yeah, I can imagine. It's like one of those old, I think it was a Star Trek game or something, where you had to use like all sorts of um, calculations to determine how the, fl- how the ships were flying and stuff like that. It's ah, it sounds dreadful. <laughs> but I hate crunch. This system is based around like a community of people, so each player controls three different characters. Which is weird. Mm, one of them, interesting. One of them's the mage. One of them's like a companion, and then one of them is just like a basic townsperson. And the thing is, their main character is this mage, and their companion is a companion for a different character. So you're not the companion to yourself. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But it's a very oh. interesting. It's a very interesting system. Yeah, I can imagine it's really fun, but also a little bit chaotic. Yeah, I could I could see it. I like I said, it's very dense, and I haven't uh, I haven't even made a made a chunk into this into this book. But another game system I'm interested in trying is the Call of Cthulhu series, just because I love the whole um, Lovecraftian kind of backstory. Are you all familiar with Call of Cthulhu? I've played mm. it a bit, actually. It's pretty fun, but I haven't played it enough to really have an in-depth opinion on the matter. But at first, it's, I mean, it requires a certain change of thought because for once, you can't really be a hero. You can be a survivor and you just have to try not to die for as long as possible and not go insane and all that. But it's it's very interesting. It's a very different dynamic, but I think it really encourages role-playing as well just because you have to be so incredibly careful about not running into a... Or in this monster that either kills you or turns you insane. Right. And that, that kind of discourages the players that like to be barbarians. 
Exactly. Because you can't just go headfirst into this situation. You have to you have to think. You know, you have to be kind of inquisitive about about certain things. Exactly. I remember it's, this one scene where there was a corpse down the stairs in the basement, and one of my friends decided to go downstairs. My first reaction was, okay, I lock him down there. I lock the door. I'm not going <laughs> down there. I'm saving my own skin. Have you, are you guys familiar, like speaking of game scenarios, with the Reddit game tales? It's no. Reddit. It's basically just people share their amazing uh, like RPG stories, what happened to their group. And it's really worth just going to the top of all time and then reading a couple. They're really like some funny scenarios. Oh, okay. I can I could fill come out a, with. I could fill out a couple pages. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, you should definitely share some there because it's really funny. Yeah, I definitely. have so many seven C anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about like my one of my favorite um, game systems is it would have to be D and D fifth edition because it's essentially. You can do anything. You know, there, there are guidelines. There are, you know, basic rule paths. But I like the fact that it's so customizable that you mm-hmm. can do anything, essentially. You know, exactly. I, Come on. I started okay. homebrewing kind of like a futuristic 5th edition. It's very interesting. You know, I made I made all new classes. I need, made all new races and, and everything. So it's like... You know, it. I I took the basic rule set and remapped it essentially. But it was just something I was bored with, and I was like, "Hey, you guys want to play a, a futuristic D and D fifth edition?" And they're like, "Yeah, let's go, let's go, <laughs> let's do it." Um, did you did you change the races because classic like Tolkien race setting is overdone, or you just wanted to try something new? Well, I wanted to try something new, and I don't love some of the future settings, you know, future space settings on on certain game systems. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I already know 5th edition. These people already know 5th edition. It won't take me long to actually remap some things. So essentially, I kept some of the same races, but I remapped them to, like, aliens or cyborgs or sub- stuff like that. So I mean, I'll I'll send you guys some some PDFs, but it's uh it looks pretty nice, you know. Yeah, I just I've I've researched some futuristic settings of games, and I'm I'm not all that impressed with some of them. So yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah I always really dislike the sci-fi setting because as soon as there's like a spaceship involved, it just loses my interest completely. I also have to say, like, I never watched Star Trek or anything. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the only few people. <laughs> I mean, I like sci-fi, but the role-playing games are usually just too dense for my taste because you have all these diagrams and calculations and vectors and whatnot that you have to figure out. Right. And the way I did it, you know, I, I said I kind of remapped 5th edition and everything's simplistic, you know. I uh, I made all new weapons. I made some some new vehicles and stuff. It's more like, you know, instead of doing charts and graphs and everything, I just said, okay, this this vehicle has a a base speed of oh something ridiculous, 
you know, <laughs> maybe like 35, you know, it, it, was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but I mean, it was just to have some fun and just to, you know, do something with my time. Have you all looked into Fantasy Age, any? Nope. What is it about? It's it's essentially like a futuristic magic type system. So it's like D&D with the whole, you know, trolls and uh, and different creatures. But there's like a tech magic kind of. It's, a, it's interesting and weird. Hmm. It's hard to explain. Is, is it like steampunk magic or more futuristic? A little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> um, a good example of it. I think it's using the same system, but Will Wheaton and a couple other voice actors did some um, some actual plays of Titan's Grave. It would be worth looking up. I think it's on Geek and Sundry's uh, YouTube channel, but they do maybe like 11, 12 episodes of this campaign, and it's it's interesting. So it's like there's futuristic and like there's cyborgs, but there's also magic. And they do a good job of explaining it. And as you watch, you'll understand a little bit more. It's a, it's a cool system. It's a cool concept for a system. I don't know anything about the actual system because I don't have any of the source material. But um, it's something I'm interested in. Are any of you familiar with uh, Microscope by any chance? No, I'm not. One is brilliant. You should look into it. It's, it's really a collaborative storytelling game. It's it's difficult to explain, but you pretty much just all make choices upon, okay, this is the setting, this, these are the characters, and you slowly start building up stories and overarching plot lines, and it's without dice at all, just purely words, and it works really well, I think, because I can't find anyone to play it with, but <laughs> I think it would work really well. The concept is there, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. I, I talked about this game system a little bit at the, the end of our first podcast with Mark, but have you all heard of the game system Dread? I've heard of it, but I haven't read into it. It's, it's a very, very fun concept because it's based around horror, kind of like, you know, Call of Cthulhu mm-hmm. is. Instead of dice rolls and everything. Oh, it's, this is the one that uses Jenga. Yeah, it uses Jenga. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. oh God. So, so the the more people do, the the more rickety the tower gets, and the more likely it is to fall. <laughs> and do you know what happens when the tower falls? You die. <laughs> the character that's pulling from the tower dies. Oh, that's brilliant. That's it's so good. Amazing. But it, what it, if you like roll or like get a Jenga piece for opening a door, and you get the last one? <laughs> Does the door fall over and kill? It's a very dangerous door, clearly. <laughs> when the door turns into a monster. <laughs> no, it, it would be up to the to the GM to decide, okay, what would be right in this situation? How would this yeah. character die? You know, maybe the maybe they opens. open the door maybe the door actually opens, but on the other side's a creature and your face gets eaten. It's a great storytelling game as far as horror and the physical suspense aspect of it is very thrilling because there is this physical, you know, depiction mm-hmm. of the suspense in the form of Jenga. And it's it's very interesting. I haven't gotten to play, but I've read it all. And it is it is very I mean, it's easy to get to know. You know, your character sheet is essentially just a questionnaire of twelve questions, and this is your character. You know, you don't have any skills unless you have specific like, you know, you are experienced in hacking, you know. 
and and you don't have to pull for hacking because you know how to hack. You know, so it's in the sense of yeah, in the sense of pulling from the tower. If it's something you can do, you know, normally, you know, oh, the door's unlocked. I want to open the door. Well, you can do that. You know, it's it. You wouldn't have to pull from the tower because it's something that's you know basic and something that you can do. You know, it gives the example of the book uh, as um, if if you can tie your shoe. You know, if you want to tie your shoe, you can tie your shoe. But if you want to go rock climbing and you're not skilled in rock climbing, you have to pull from the tower. So it's very interesting. It's a very simple game. It doesn't take you long to get to know. And it's it seems like it would be a good, you know, good one shot, you know. Yeah, definitely. When I brought this up to Mark, he was like, well, is there any chance for, you know, a a reoccurring um, story, you know? You know there is a lot of there is a lot of character death, but is there is there any chance for a reoccurring story? And I I kind of thought about it for a second. I was like, well, yeah. If at the end of this session two people survive out of the four, you can go to the next one, and the the two people that died just, before can just be different characters, and this story can just go on. It's a system that you can create virtually any story from, as long as it has a horror aspect. I think you're good. Horror aspects are always fun. Yeah, especially in the group that creates like scary moments or shit, stuff like a shit. The character would definitely not go in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like a, a great, uh, great aspect for a game and a great. It, it seems like it would be pretty fun, you know, if you're into the horror aspect and if you're into the suspense. Um, especially I like would... the physical aspect of trying to get that last Jenga piece here. Like, no, please, I want my character to stay alive. Because you, your character is already scared. You're already in that horror setting. That just adds to it. I'm not trying to smash everything down. Yeah, definitely. And Will Wheaton does a, a couple episodes of this on his tabletop on Geek and Sundry's channel on YouTube. And I would, I would really suggest going and watching it because it's great. Uh, he gets Laura yeah, Bailey. He gets Laura Bailey on there, and a couple other people. And uh, Laura Bailey is an amazing actress, wonderful voice actress, wonderful role player. It's great. I love it. Well, everybody, this has been Tabletop Radio Hour. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, feel free to contact us. We are located on Twitter at TabletopCast. Uh, you can find this episode on SoundCloud.com/slash Tabletop Radio Hour. And we are now on iTunes, so uh, you can go and give us a review. It'll help us in the algorithms. And we will see you all next time.